0: Uh, It really is such an honor to be here. And uh, the the truth of it is, as Pastor Tim said, we are very close. Uh, It it is rarely a week goes by that him and I don't at least communicate, if not grab lunch. And he's just the biggest encouragement to me. Him and his wife, Laura Lee, my wife, Mary, and I just absolutely love them. And we've had the privilege of traveling with them, really getting to know them. Uh, We went to the Holy Land together, been on a cruise together, different conferences, and we just cherish them. But I want to talk about one thing specific before I transition to a time of teaching. And what I'm about to say, it can very easily sound like an exaggeration because I'm a pastor, I'm getting up, I'm in his church, but I promise you it's not. When you look at the scriptures and you see any man or woman or group of people accomplish something great for God, it's because they were able in faith to believe God in spite of the obstacles in front of them. They were able to look on all the things, look beyond all the things that were coming against them to believe God and what he's called them to do. And through that faith, God did supernatural things. And I want you to know that's the type of pastor you have. Uh, Tim's faith, yeah, we can celebrate, Tim. I'm not joking, and he can even attest to this. There are times we're having lunch, and he'll tell me plans and different things, and I'll say, Does that scare you? Just past week, we had lunch, and I said, Does that scare you? And he was like, No. And I was like, You are a man of faith. So, church, just celebrate that because what that means for you, and I mean this genuinely, that means God has some supernatural things planned for your ministry. And, uh, and so, you should celebrate Him, and you should celebrate God and what He's doing uh, most of all. Amen? All right, do me a favor. If you have a Bible or electronic device, uh, turn to uh, Acts chapter 8 and just put a marker there. I'm going to be there in about 20, 25 minutes. So there's this unsaid rule when you get invited to another pastor's church that if you're teaching, you should most likely try to do, teach a message that's empowering or encouraging Uh, But this time, Pastor Tim said, hey, I have this series that I'm going to be doing. This is a a couple months ago. And he said, I'm going to give you a passage in Acts based on what date you can come and speak. And so I finally told him the date I could do it. And he said, okay, you have between Acts chapter 5 and Acts chapter 8. And so I'm like, all right. So I go right to chapter 5, and I flip it over. If you don't know this, chapter 5 begins with the story of God striking dead two Christians who lied about their offering. And I was like, bet. I, like, I know the unsaid rule, but I'm totally going to do this. And so I, he actually texted me and said, hey, do you have an idea? And I said, well, it's between Ananias and Sapphira and this other story. I really want to talk about the fear of God. Okay. But then Pastor Kevin had to go and preach a message about the fear of God and destroy that. So appreciate that, buddy. Thanks, man. Like, it's not hard enough speaking at another church. But, uh, but hey, could I tell you two points I was going to give you from that <laughs> just as a freebie? All right, Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by God. But can we all agree that they're in heaven? I not you to think about it for a second. That's a story of two Christians who made a mistake. That did not sentence them to be separated from God for eternity. Can we all agree on that? So note this. Again, this is just freebie stuff, all right? If God didn't strike them dead to punish them, then why did God strike them dead? He did it as a warning to all of us to take seriously his church, that he did not want his initial church founded on deception and division. And so, again... Next time you have me back, I'm going to preach on Acts 5, okay? <laughs> All right. Some of you are like, this guy is serious. All right. All right, so let's, let's go. Next time I'm here, I'll preach on that. All right. So a few weeks ago, Pastor Tim began a series. And the series he began is the one that we're in called Unstoppable, where we're looking at something that Jesus began 2,000 years ago, that when Jesus lived and he died and was resurrected and then he sent his Holy Spirit to fill the life of believers, On the very day that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and filled the lives of each person, this unstoppable force was created. And the unstoppable force was his church. And when Pastor Tim began this series, he he took you to a verse that I want to take you to. It's in Matthew chapter 16. And in this, what, what happened is right before this verse, Jesus had this interaction with the religious leaders. And if you know his interaction with them, it always were were the religious leaders trying to discredit him, trying to undermine him, catch him in a lie if they could, discredit his ministry. And so Jesus always had this tension with religious leaders. So like prior to this verse, there was some tension. Then he gets his followers aside, his closest friends, the disciples. And he asks them this personal question. He says, all right, basically we know what the religious leaders think about me. But what do the people think about me? Who do they say that I am? And so they start to speak up, and one person goes, well, some say you're John the Baptist, which is really weird because John the Baptist was alive the same time as Jesus and actually baptized Jesus. But they say, some people think you're John the Baptist, and then he goes, okay, what about anyone else? And they said, well, some people say you're Elijah. And that kind of makes sense because Elijah never physically died. He was just taken right up into heaven. But then another person said, some think you're Jeremiah, and then others were like, no, we, some people think you're a prophet. And then Jesus makes it personal, and he looks at his closest friends who followed him every single day. They knew his character. They knew his nature. They saw every miracle that he did, and they heard the words that he spoke, and he looks at them, and and this is what he says as he asks them this question. Verse 15, he says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, who oftentimes was the first to respond. He's the first to jump out of the boat. He's the first to to just follow Jesus. I mean, he's a man of passion, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. But Simon Peter speaks up, and he answers, and he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you have to understand the weight of this statement. This is not an exaggeration. If you, as a Jewish man, were to say this statement about the wrong person, you could be stoned to death for blasphemy. I mean, what he's declaring is two parts. He goes, first, you are the Christ. If you don't know this, the word Christ is the Greek word for the Messiah. So the Jewish community had all of the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures that had many prophecies that were telling them that one day this man was going to come that was going to save them. And they knew that there was a Messiah promised by God. And so they thought in their minds that the Messiah would be like King David A military king that would come and overthrow Rome because that was the context that they were in in the time of Jesus. But they just knew that for hundreds, if not thousands of years, there were these prophecies, the Messiah's coming, the Messiah's coming. And Peter just declared that Jesus, that's you. You're the Christ. You're the one that we've been longing for. You're the one that we need. But he didn't just stop there. I mean, that's a profound statement He then says, but not only are you the Christ, the Messiah that we've waited for, but you are the son of the living God. And I think you probably understand this, but if you are the son of God, you are of the same kind. So what he is declaring is that you are God in the flesh. And this is a powerful moment. You are the one we've been waiting for. You are God in the flesh. And so Jesus responds to him and says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Peter makes this profound statement, and Jesus follows up with a profound statement of his own. And there's three things I want to highlight, because again, this is just the foundation of the passage I want to look at in Acts today. But Jesus goes, like, here's the first thing you need to understand. I'm going to build something on this rock. And, and I want to be clear, and I'm not saying this to create tension, so if you've heard something taught differently, I'm not trying to just be argumentative. But he was not declaring that he was about to build his church upon a man, Peter. He was declaring that he was building his church upon the truth that Peter just proclaimed, that he was the Christ, that he is the son of the living God. And so he says, I'm about to build something upon this powerful truth. What the world needs is a Messiah. What the world needs is what I have to offer. I mean, this is what Jesus is declaring. I'm going to create a movement from this truth that's gonna radically change the world. And so he begins by saying, the truth that he is the hope of the world, that he is God in the flesh, this is what truth can be built upon. This is what lives can be built upon. This is what ultimately his church will be built upon. So he says, this is the first part. This is the rock. And then he transitions and says, And I'm going to build my church. What does it mean by church? So we oftentimes hear that word and we immediately go to kind of like an organized group of Christians. We think of like in your context, the ex-church and Pastor Tim and his staff and all the leaders that they've raised up. But what he was simply meaning in this moment, he used the word ecclesia. It's the concept of getting a group of people together for one particular purpose. And what Jesus was declaring is he was about to assemble people and launch them on a purpose or a movement where they would have a like passion that would go into all the world and radically change the world. So again, he says, the rock, the truth that we're building on is that I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God. I'm going to assemble people around this movement, this passion. I'm going to send them out. And then Jesus makes one more final powerful statement. He goes, and not even the gates of Hades will prevail. Some translations say the gates of hell, but that's a bad translation. Hades just means the place of the dead. In the Old Testament, it was the word Sheol. He says it's a place where people go when they die. I mean, it's the concept that every single person is dead, dies at some point. Okay, I have to just do a little bit more history just so you understand the weight of this. In the very beginning of time, when God created, he placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and he gave them freedom. But one of the things that he gave them is he said, You have a right to choose whether or not you're going to trust me, whether or not you're going to walk in obedience. And if you trust me and you walk in obedience, you'll remain in the garden, you'll have access to the tree of life, you'll be blessed, you'll have communion with me. But if you choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what you are doing in that moment, it's a physical representation that you do not trust me, that you want to throw off my authority. And he says, and in that moment that you choose to distrust me, just know this, you will surely die. And what we know from the story, when they ate of the fruit, they they did not uh, experience immediate physical death. But what they experienced is that sin entered the world and every single thing in the world began the process of decay. Sin began to destroy everything. Everything. We, we see it just immediately. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all of a sudden, for the first time in their existence, they realized they were naked, and so they hid themselves from each other, so there was a brokenness in relationship. When they heard God walk into the garden, they hid themselves from God. There was a, a separation spiritually. When God began to speak to them, they started to throw accusations against each other and against God himself. You just see everything is broken. They're removed from the garden, so they no longer had access to the tree of life. And the reason why I'm saying all of this is because you need to understand the effects of sin to understand the incredible calling that we're going to look at today in our lives. Sin kills and destroys every single thing it touches. Any tension you have in your life, it can be rooted in sin. Everything, any marital tension, every relational tension, every mental illness, every physical sickness, everything in creation, the fact that we have tornadoes and hurricanes and mudslides and droughts and and, and everything that's bad, all of its roots go all the way back to the beginning when we chose as humanity to distrust God, okay? So in that moment of their sin, every person after them was born stepping onto a one-way street toward death. And if God doesn't intervene, death is undefeated. Do we get that? Okay, so that's all the foundation. So when Jesus says that he is building something upon the truth, that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that he's going to unite people in this passion for it, and that not even death itself is going to be victorious, what Jesus is saying is he is about to change things. So here's The hope then. He goes, I'm going to use people, the church, this movement, this gathering to change the world. All right. So, who does Jesus choose? Like, what's his strategy? Because I know if I had a strategy, like if you were to say, Matthew, you're in charge, you're God, Uh, can I tell you my strategy? I would put an angel on every street corner. And when I think of angels, I don't know if this is correct. I need to do better Bible study, but I don't know if this is correct. But I think, I picture angels are a lot bigger than us. Does anyone else picture that? I just picture them like 15, 20 feet tall. And so I picture them with glowing and flowing robes that are white. I picture them with wings because I've seen it in enough pictures. I picture them all holding a flaming sword, which again, I don't even know where I got that from. But then I picture them being able to speak, and it's like the loudest sound system like we have here at X Church, and I just picture them on every street corner, like, this is my strategy. Put them there, and they'll just go like, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Son of the living God. Okay. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, thank you, God, that Matthew is not God. All right? That's my strategy. But it's not the strategy of Jesus. Instead, what we see is early on in the book of Matthew, he tells his strategy from the very beginning of his ministry. One of the first recorded things that Jesus ever said in a sermon is found in Matthew 5, and he says this. He says, "'You are the salt of the earth,' "'talking to the crowd. "'But if the salt has lost its taste, "'how shall, shall its saltiness be restored? "'It is no longer good for anything "'except to be thrown out "'and trampled under people's feet. "'You are the light of the world. "'A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, "'nor do people light a lamp "'and put it under a basket, "'but on a stand, "'and it gives light to all in the house.'" In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says two important things. He looks at this crowd that he's speaking to and he goes, you're the salt. Now when we hear of salt, we oftentimes just simply think of salt as the seasoning because that's how it's primarily used in our world nowadays. But in that time, salt was used to preserve meat from decay. They did not have refrigeration systems and so they would cover their meat with salt so, what Jesus was declaring to this group, this is what the implication of his, of his teaching is that the world is decaying and you're gonna be the solution. Obviously, through him in their lives, but they're gonna be what stops the decay. He, he then says, okay, like, let's give you another example, which he often did. He kind of like would double down and he goes, you're, you're also the light. So, the implication is the world is walking in what? Darkness. So, he's like, The world is decaying, the world is in darkness. You are the salt. You are the light. And he's telling them, you're going to be the hope and the solution to the world. So who is this group that he's talking to? If you don't know anything from Scripture, you would make the assumption that the group he's talking to are the elite. You would think he's having a private huddle with maybe the the political leaders, the rulers, maybe military generals, at the very minimum, the wealthy, the influential, the philosophers of the age. But what we see actually in the context is the people that he, was speaking, that he was speaking to were the broken. I mean, I'm not exaggerating this. I know it, it can be easy to think that, but the people who typically followed Jesus were the outcasts of the, of the culture. At the bare minimum, this was the majority of uh, Jewish culture that was following Jesus at this time and listening, but they were broken, they were oppressed, they, they had been conquered by Rome their entire existence. And, and all Rome, how they treated them is that they're worthless, second-class citizens. Even their own religious leaders consistently told them the message that God was mad at you. It's the reason why you're not blessed. It's the reason why God's not speaking through prophets anymore. It's the reason why Rome has conquered us. So they just kept hearing this message. You're second-class. God's mad at you. And then typically the people that went after Jesus were the poor, the hurting, the sick, because they were just looking for a message of hope. I mean, even Jesus himself, his perspective, his words, when he looked at the group that followed him, he said, from his perspective, they looked helpless, harassed, like a sheep without shepherd. And so when we look at this group, we go, why in the world would God choose the B squad to take this message of hope and life to the world. And you know why? The best people to spread the message about life are those that have been resurrected from the dead. Right? These people, Jesus looks at them and he's not saying, in this current condition, you're going to go change the world. What he's saying to them is, through me, I'm going to change your life and then send you out into the world to simply share your testimony. To say to people, let me just tell you how I was. I was dead and now I'm alive. See, the same other truth is the best people to shine a light are those that at one time walked in darkness. And they can say, you know what? I used to be confused. I used to be overwhelmed. I used to be oppressed. But then I met Jesus, and it changed. And so Jesus' plan for them is he says, I'm going to send you into the world to spread this message and to change the world, and not even death itself is going to stop you. Death is not going to stop this movement. So friends, I'm sure you get this because Pastor Tim has taught this so well, We are a continuation of that movement. We are a continuation of that group. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, one of the last things that Jesus said to his followers before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said, all authority on earth has been given to me Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I've taught you, and then here's his promise, and I'm with you to the end of the age. He commissioned people out, sent them out, and again, 2,000 years later, we are part of that commission. Okay, everyone follow me so far? I don't think I'm super confusing, right? I could stop right now, and that could be the sermon. I could just go like, basically, that's it. Okay, ready? Go and do that. Because this is the truth. I'll do a quick review. Sin destroyed everything. Jesus is the only one who can fix the sin problem. I mean, Scripture is clear. Through sin came death, and death spread to all because all have sinned. So every single one of us, were in that camp. Jesus gives us the opportunity to have life, to have salvation, for all that to be changed. He then takes that message. He gives it to those who have received it, changes their lives, sends them out into the world to create The unstoppable force. Okay, that's the quick review. There's a problem. And here's the problem from my perspective. When we look out into the world, we don't always see the success of this unstoppable force. We can look at the the world right now, and from many, many people's point of view, it looks like the world is beating the church. Is that fair? I mean, in many ways, the church reputation... Has taken a hit over the last many years. We we look at what seems to be faltering, and we can look at it and go, okay, the problem is maybe within the message, and some people want to change the message of Jesus because the gospel offends. I'll just tell you that's not the solution. Some people will try to go to politics, and I just promise you that's not the solution. And if I offend you, that's fine because I go back to my church next week. So (laughs) Tim has the permission to get up here and go, sorry about that. Okay, so But the unstoppable force are us as Christians. But when you look at statistics, the problem of why the unstoppable force is not winning is because Christians are no longer telling people about Jesus. Let let me give you three statistics, just to keep it simple. There's a group called uh, the Barna Group. It's created by a man named George Barna. And they do a lot of surveys within the church world, probably the leaders in this. In 1993, so over 25 years ago, They did this huge survey of of Christians and churches around the country. And in the survey, they made a statement. And they were only surveying people at this portion of it who have already shared their faith, So people who actively did this. But they they made the statement, they said, do you agree with it? And here's the statement. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. Every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. So over 25 years ago when they asked this, 89%, so almost 90% of Christians agreed with that. Yep, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. 25 years later, after that study, they went back and they asked the same question to thousands of churches and Christians. And 25 years later, it had gone down 25%. And and that that was a few years ago, so it might have even gone down more now, to where only 64% of Christians agree that every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. The next generation that's really becoming powerful and influential are what we call the millennials. When the millennials were surveyed about sharing their faith, here's what's ironic, 75 percent of millennials feel prepared to share their faith, which is higher than any other generation, but here's what they believe. 50 percent of the millennials, this next influential generation, 50 percent of them think it's wrong to try to convert someone to a new belief system, so if someone has a, a different religion that they're following, or atheism, agnosticism, whatever it might be, millennials think it's actually wrong. These are Christian millennials. think it's wrong to try to convert them. And then here's the last statistic I'll give you. 90% of Christians have never led anyone to Jesus. Can we all agree that that's where the problem lies? Is that we've been given this message that changes lives. We've been given the very spirit of God to dwell inside of us to empower us to be successful. But if we don't step out in faith and partner with God in this process, then the unstoppable force stops because of our choice. Now hear me, God's going to still move. But what God wants to do is through us in our lives to touch the people where he's placed us. And for many people, they, what part of the problem is they start to look at church as if it's an organization, And they start to look at church and say, well, it's the responsibility of the church to do those things. It's the responsibility of the church, as in Pastor Tim and his staff and the leaders. It's their responsibility to evangelize. It's their responsibility to disciple. But this next statement I'll give you is one that will probably confuse some of you, maybe even offend some of you. But when you actually look at the biblical church as it was created in Acts chapter two and three and chapter four, what you will see is that the way the church was most successful is the church as a group meeting together was actually inwardly focused. They were focused on themselves, focused on their own people. I mean, think about the language. They gathered together every single day. They met in each other's homes. They shared their possessions with each other. They took care of their own. They worshiped together. They went to the synagogue together. And so the concept of the church is that when we come together we focus on the needs within our community but then every single person is an individual light and salt that goes into the world and invites the people in their lives to join that community and to come in and so what happens is people judge churches harsh and they go okay this church is not growing this church isn't being successful and they look at the leadership and they blame them not realizing the responsibility is on you in the seats that every standard you want to place on Pastor Tim or the staff or on me or any other pastor, just know this, whatever responsibility you place on us, God has placed on you. It is your responsibility to be the (laughs) church in the world. Will you do me a favor come to my church and say the same thing to them? All right, I appreciate that. And so here's where I want to transition. I want to get into Acts chapter eight, verse 26. As we transition, we go, okay, so what's the solution? Here, here, I don't want to be like overly simplistic, but I really believe this. I think it's simply a perspective shift for us to realize, okay, we have to start viewing the lost the same way that Jesus views them. We have to understand how God is supernaturally working in our lives to place us in strategic places. And the message I'm going to give you today, I'm going to give you four truths from this, these few verses. I really believe that if you take these to heart, you will see the supernatural move of God in your life and through your life, to see other people saved. So let's go ahead and dive in. In verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he, Philip, rose and went. So Philip is oftentimes referred to as Philip the Evangelist in Scripture. He had a real heart for telling people about Jesus So one day, it words it this way, it says the angel of the Lord. And I don't know if that's just poetic language or an angel actually appeared to him or if God himself appeared to him or if he's just talking poetically and it's really the Holy Spirit who leads him. Because we see even later in the same story, it just references that the Holy Spirit directed him to go to a specific place. But here's what I'm simply saying is that God spoke to him to go somewhere and he responded. What he recognized in his life was that God was leading him. And so here's the first truth I want to give you. God leads you to places of opportunity. This is the perspective shift that many of you need to have. Hear me, every single place you go, God has placed you there to be the salt and the light. So in your families, you are purposely placed by God to be there. In your place of employment, no matter how frustrating or dysfunctional it might be, know this, that God has placed you there. So in your marriages, families, friendships, hobbies, community, every restaurant you go to, every retail shop you go to, when you're out driving in your car, every single place you go, God has strategically placed you there. Even the psalmist knew this, David in Psalm 139. He describes it really with double purpose. He says, God, before I ever was born, you had already charted out every single day of my life, and so you made me for days, but you also made days for me. that's double purpose he's describing. And he goes, God, you have strategically placed me. What does this mean? This means that every single one of us, that we have to have open eyes and a willingness to be used by God. Every place we go, we have to look around and say, God, in this place and in this moment, how do you want me to shine? What's dying, what's decaying that you want me to speak life into it? What person is hurting? What, what marriage is struggling? What, what's going on around me? I, I know for me, I'm a super purpose person. I, I, I Honestly, I, I can't even describe how exhausting my brain is because I am always thinking about what's next and going. And I remember one day I had someone in my church say, hey, I saw you going into Walmart. And I go, oh yeah? And they were like, yeah, you had your head down and you were pushing the cart and you did not make eye contact with anyone. And I thought about it, and I was like, that's how I go to Walmart. I want to get in, and I want to get out as fast as possible. Can I get an amen? Amen. uh, But so I was like, okay. I was like, that doesn't sound right, you know. So I started to just now, when I go in, I walk slower, and I have to be purposed to do this. I walk slower, and this part's awkward. I make eye contact with everybody. I mean, to the awkward point, so I'm I'm a pastor in a smaller community, and our church is a little bit larger in that sense, so there's a good chance I might see people I know, so I don't know if I'm going to see people I know. So if I make eye contact with you and you hold it for a second, I just assume you go to our church, so I wave at you. Sometimes people are like, oh, hey, Pastor Matt. I'm like, hey, how you doing? And then other times people are like, and they walk away, and I'm like, all right, that's a strike. Who cares, you know? But the reason why I say that is I've been able in Walmart and Kroger and other places To have ministry opportunities because I've just slowed down, looked around and said, God, how do you want to use me? I had a time at Kroger where this lady was getting her groceries. Looked like a young mom just from some of the stuff that she was buying. And she did that thing where she had her purse and she was looking through and then she was counting stuff and it was a self-checkout and she started to put stuff away and then she was like doing all of that and and she had all the stuff that she started to pull back out of her cart because she realized she didn't have enough money. And again, it's just open eyes. You look at it and go, oh, I can solve this in a second. And I walked over and I said, just took my card out, slid it in, pulled it out, hit accept, and said, God bless, walked out. I, here's the thing, I didn't tell her my name, I didn't tell her my church, anything. The next Sunday, she shows up at my church. Not, not by accident, she, she sought me out, which is creepy as I'll get out. I have no idea, how did you even figure out who I am? But she showed up and just said, hey, thank you for doing that, that was, that was incredibly generous. And I was like, oh, hey, God bless you, you know? These are the opportunities that God brings around. Here's what I promise you. If I would have had my own mindset of just putting my head down and walking in, I would have missed it. Missed an opportunity. And so the first truth to understand is God leads you to places of opportunity. Verse 27, And Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. So as Philip goes to this area close by, there's a man that we would call the secretary of treasury. So he's a secretary of treasury for the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. Um, it describes him as a eunuch, and I'm just not even going to touch that today, okay? I would say Google it, but don't. Okay, get it to a commentary. But this guy is obviously seeking God. He's reading from the scriptures. Isaiah 53 is what we'll see in a moment, which is one of the most incredible prophecies about Jesus, written 800 years before he was ever born. Remarkable. But he's just there reading, but he is seeking after God. Here's the second truth you need to know, is that God is bringing people into your life that are primed to hear the gospel. This man was seeking the gospel. This is literally what we'll see in the story. He's reading this prophecy, and he's like, I have no idea what I'm reading I don't know who this is about. Is this about the prophet who's speaking? Is this about someone else? Is this what he's gonna ask? But he's seeking after God. And every single day, as I've already said, you have people around you that are primed to hear the gospel, that are primed to hear, what's the gospel? That's a church term, a Bible term. That means the good news. They're, They're needing good news. I'm a pastor. Every single week, I'll meet with people That from the outside, before they ever step into my office, if you were to ask me to describe them, I would say their life is is just really, really blessed. You look at them through their interactions on Sunday, and they're smiling, they're dressed nice, they come up, they give you hugs. You look at their social media profile, they post the best pictures, the family vacations. And every single week, I have people come into my office, and within a few seconds, their brokenness comes out. They're crying, they're weeping, devastated marriages, negative health reports, battling mental illness, hurting, struggling. You would never know it just from the outside looking in. But every single one of us, God has strategically placed us, but he's drawing people into our pathway that are primed to hear good news. And you should be the bearer of that good news. And sometimes that person is not the one you would expect. I remember years ago, uh, a few years ago, I started working out, probably four or five years ago, and, and my method of working out is CrossFit, and uh, have you ever heard of, how do you know someone does CrossFit? They'll tell you, and uh, so I do CrossFit, and, uh, and so after I'd been there for a, a month or two, I was there early for a class, and I was stretching, warming up, and this guy walks in, and if he hears this story, he's probably tired of me telling this story, but he walks in without any context whatsoever, I've never met him before, just walks into the room and shouts the F word. I'm just the F-bomb. Boom! Drops it, right? My initial thought, and I'm not exaggerating, my initial thought was, I'm not going to like that guy. (laughs) And I just thought, like, I don't like, and I hear cussing. I'm around cussing. I just don't like cussing. Let's got to be honest. I think cussing makes people seem less intelligent, and I just was like, you know what? I don't want to be around this guy. The more I was around him, the more foul he was. I just heard him cussing all the time. Now, to be fair, it turns out he's a really, really kind person, real compassionate, but So I just, in my mind initially, I thought, that's not a ministry opportunity. Like, when you lead with the F-bomb, it's like, that's a challenge, right? (laughs) And so for years, I just became friends with him at the gym. Nothing spiritual, just talking to him. Getting to know him, getting to know his name, his story. Him getting to know my name, getting to know my story. And then after some time, I just started to invite him to church. And not only was I inviting him to church, but there were a lot of people from my church that went to my gym, they were inviting him. And so he started to attend and he started to come every single week, and he's, we started to have more purpose spiritual conversations. And a couple of years ago, on a Sunday, I was given an invitation for people to receive Jesus Christ. And he was sitting uh, in our context on the first row of, of seats where our staff sits, but one of our staff members works out of the gym, so he was, he was sitting with them. And he was sitting there, and I gave an opportunity. I said, if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you do me a favor and just stand up? He stands up. I mean, I was a wreck. I was not ready for it. I was bawling on stage. I, I'm kind of an emotional guy when it comes to spiritual things. He gets radically saved. This is a cool part of the story, too. But he gets radically saved. I would have never expected that. All right, here's a fun part of the story. He came to your church last week. Okay, he lives in Canal. And so he texts me and said, hey, I'm going to X church today. And I said, oh, you know, awesome. I said, it'd be better if you were to go next week because I'd be here. I was just being funny, you know. And, uh, and so he texts me after and goes, this guy was not raised in the church. Okay? He texts me after and goes, dude, that was wild. Remind me to tell you about it. So I'm like, uh-oh, you know, what happened? So I text Tim and I go, I go, hey, what happened today in service? And he's like, craziest thing I've ever been a part of. And I was like, but that's it. You were like egging me on, not telling me any details for a while. And then finally, I was like, what does that mean? So honestly, he just was not giving me enough details. I just opened up Facebook, went to the second service and watched it in my car. And at the end, I was as excited as you guys for that story. That was incredible. But uh, anyway, he told me the next day, that's what he said to me. We're working out the next morning. He goes, if I didn't know better, I would think that was staged. He goes, like, what are the chances of that happening? And I go, I promise you it wasn't staged. He goes, oh, I know that, but what are the chances of that happening? And I'm like, that's what God can do. And he's like, he can, can he? Like, radical transformation, why? Yeah, we could celebrate it. Radical transformation because God brought him primed to hear the gospel, and he had an opportunity to hear it. And so this story goes on. It says in verse 29, and the Spirit, so this is the Holy Spirit, said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So God brought Philip to the spot, and Philip just goes. Doesn't even know why, just know God's leading him, takes him to a spot. In the same time, he brings the Ethiopian who is primed to hear the gospel in proximity, and then now as they're close to each other, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and goes, now specifically, go to that chariot. Here's another way we could word it in our lives is go to that person, Because here's the third truth I want to give you is God ordains the moments. And so Philip walks over there and he starts to hear this man reading the scripture. So I'm just going to read it to you. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. So again, that's a prophecy from Isaiah 53. If you've never read it, you should. It will give you increased faith. But then the eunuch response is, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. I want you to think about this moment. This guy is just reading these scriptures that he had to have purchased from a scribe. He's reading out loud, has nothing, like, no, doesn't know the context, just know his heart is searching for God. And this other guy shows up and goes, Hey, what are you reading? Do you know what you're reading? And He's like, How can I? Like, who's this about? And he goes, Oh, this is awesome. This was written 800 years ago about a man who just lived that I know, a man named Jesus, who is God in the flesh, and he just tells him the gospel. And this man gets radically saved. As we'll see in a moment, he also gets baptized. And the reason why I say this is God will bring people to you, and then he'll open up moments for you to share with them. You, you will be having conversations with someone, and someone will go, you know what? My marriage is struggling. Friends, that's a God-ordained moment. At the bare minimum to say, well, can I pray for you? Because here's what I know. When I've had problems in my life, I go to God in prayer, and God moves supernaturally. And so people go, well, well, sure. I've had very few times where someone's denied it. I had a friend of mine that was a pastor. He he was in this restaurant, and he just felt like the Holy Spirit was leading him. And he walked over to this stranger, and he says, I feel like God wants me to pray for you. And she said, leave me alone, or I'll call the cops. So there are those moments. (laughs) I don't want to undermine myself. There are those moments. But when you know someone and you have a personal relationship with them and you offer to pray for them, I've never had that refused. And so someone might say, hey, I'm struggling. And you go, okay, can I pray for you? Or here's the next thing you might say. Hey, can I share a sermon with you? My pastor spoke on this just recently. This teaching's incredible. I'm going to just send you a link. Will you watch it? And I've had people do that and I've seen people saved as a result of that. You you can say to someone, hey, will you come to church with me? And you bring them to church, and and there's going to be a lot of intimidating things. There's no doubt about it. There are some odd things about church. But you bring them there, and you allow the Holy Spirit to do the supernatural work in their life. And every single one of us, we have opportunities that God ordains and brings our lives together. My wife, this is not an exaggeration, she has led her cashiers at Aldi to the Lord. I'm not exaggerating. She loves Aldi she invites them to church. She will come home from Aldi and other places, and she will tell me the life story of the cashier, and I'm like, babe, I've been to Aldi. They're like, you're out. I'm like, how do you do it in that short time? She's like, it's a little bit every single week, just a little bit more. They tell me something about their life. The next week, I bring that back up, and then after a while, I invite them to church, and it's incredible. I I had a, a supernatural experience recently or within the last few years. I was going about my business and uh, just on a normal day, and God put someone on my heart that was not a Christian. Just put them on my heart, said, Reach out to them. I could not deny this leading from God. So I reached out to my friend uh, that I knew that, again, was not going to church and I said, Hey, are you doing okay? And he said, Yeah. And I could just tell by his tone and how he was talking that it's one of those like where people ask you, How you doing? You go good, even though you're not. And so I just kept like kind of belaboring it. Like, tell me, what's going on? I just, I can't shake that God wanted me to reach out to you. So I, I don't think God's wrong. I mean, maybe I missed it, but like, just tell me what's going on. He's like, you know, yeah, I'm okay or whatever. And I was like, okay. I hung up and God was like, go over his house. And I never, ever, ever do this. Okay. I went over, knocked on the door. He opens the door. He's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, I just can't shake the feeling that God wants me here. What's going on? Tell me about it and uh, he's like we sit down we start talking just say, hey i'm kind of going through it some stress in life and so i have an opportunity to minister to him to pray with him okay a year goes by two years go by he gets saved during this time we go on a mission trip together and while we're there he writes this letter it's a letter that i've laminated and i keep in my bible and in the letter he said that day i was about to kill myself he said i was in my house contemplating the best method to do it and you just would not leave me alone And I look back on that and I think, man, like I get emotional thinking about it because I think, how many other situations is it possible that I missed where God had said, do that? And I was like, I don't want to be awkward. I don't want to inconvenience someone. And yet these are the moments that God ordains and brings into our life that we have an opportunity where people around us are hurting and struggling. And when we slow down in our work environment, we slow down in our families and in our marriages and in our communities, we look around with an open and sensitive heart, saying to the Holy Spirit, Guide me. You show me who are hurting and give me an opportunity. God will ordain these moments for us to speak life and to speak truth to people. And so we look at this story, and this will be the last part I give to you. In verse 36, he says, As they were going along, so this is Philip and the Ethiopian going along, the road came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? So obviously, he's been saved at this moment. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, which is just a remarkable thing. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But I love this verse. It just says it almost in passing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Here's the last truth I'll give you. You are in the perfect place to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single place your foot sets down is an ideal place to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everywhere Philip went, every town, he's like, oh, new opportunity. Every new relationship, every new place. And so, friends, here's my encouragement to you Will you respond to the calling that you have? Will you embrace your calling to be the unstoppable force? to step into a world that is just being destroyed by darkness, a world destroyed by decay. and When you step into it and realize that the Holy Spirit inside of you is empowering you to change the reality for people, to preach to them the message that can change their life so that they can go from decay to life, from darkness to light. I mean, Jesus, he looked at the crowds and he said to his disciples, he said, friends, the harvest is full. Like people are primed, they're ready. He didn't say pray for more people. He said, pray for more workers because the harvest is ready. People want to hear about Jesus. And and the last story I'll think about is when Peter and John are walking up the steps and there's this crippled man there and he goes, can I have silver? Can I have gold? And they go, you know what? I don't have silver and gold, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the man is immediately healed. And the reason why I share that story is, friends, we might not be able to give the people in our lives the things that the world offers them, but we can give them something so much better. We can give them, Jesus of Nazareth, the true hope, the true life, and see them radically restored. Through our ministry, marriages can be saved. Right now, there are marriages teetering on divorce that God has placed you strategically around them. There are people that are tempted with suicide that God has strategically placed you in their life. There are people that don't know about Jesus, don't know about hope, and God has strategically placed you in their lives. The only thing that needs to happen is in faith to step out so that the Spirit of God can move through you in their lives and radically change their eternal (laughs) destiny. Amen. So let me pray for you. Jesus, you and you alone are the reason that we have hope you and you alone are the reason why we once were in death and now we're in life. We were in darkness and now we're in light. So help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to grow lazy or casual in our faith, but help us to embrace the calling you've placed on us and the responsibility to be the salt and the light. Help us to embrace the calling to be the unstoppable force so that we can see communities change. And I pray that over the ex-church. I pray that over everyone who's listening and watching so that this church can become the unstoppable force in this community and beyond. And Lord, as we respond in faith, here's what we know. You do the supernatural. You do the hard work. So help us to be obedient in our part and then give you glory for everything else. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, ex-church. I love you guys. Thanks so much for tuning into this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.